This is the newest episode of Behind the Wheels Podcast. I am your host, DJ Artistic. I am a DJ based in Los Angeles, California. I would like to introduce you all to my co-host, EB. EB, what's, what's, uh, what's good for the day? What's going on, everybody? I am EB. I am a writer, content creator, blogger, based in the planet of Brooklyn by way of D.C. Brooklyn via D.C. All right, all right. So this is Behind the Wheels. We talk about everything involving black music, past, present, and future. So we can go ahead and just hop straight into it. So as for, uh, before we get into our main segments, there's been a lot of stuff happening uh, as far as the music industry goes. I feel like we're getting ready for summer, and summertime is hopefully going to be a hot one. We need some new music from all angles, of course. Um, one of the first things that happened that everybody's been talking about which I have mixed feelings on is about Snoop basically pulling off his catalog. So for people who don't know, he bought Death Row, meaning he owns the rights to that's Doggy Style, Chronic, All Eyes On Me, Dog Food, Murder Was The Case, Death Row Christmas album, which was actually banging, you know? Yeah. So he, he owns the rights to that, and he's also signing new artists and putting them out as well. But he feels that the pay structure is not fair when it comes to Tidal, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, MySpace music if they got that I don't know I'm, I'm just talking but he feels like it's not fair and he he's basically creating an app where it's going to be I think NFT based and subscription based where to hear their music you have to go through that app so it's kind of like how Peacock is and how all these apps right. are HBO Max so he's doing that for music and a lot of folks are upset about that because they feel like they don't want to have to spend the extra and do this and that just to hear a few albums even if he is putting new music out as well. But I mean, EB, how do you how do you feel about that? Uh, I'm mixed feelings too. Um, I, I understand though, cause I, yeah. I know, you know, these streaming uh, platforms are not paying um, well. I think he left a couple yeah. of his albums up on Tidal, but they're not paying well. My only concern is that it's like a slippery slope because if he does it, then mm. what if every other person does it and you have to go through it's, it's like you said like peacock or like paramount yeah. or like netflix or hulu like you have to go to these different entities to listen to music and before you know it that cost adds up to more yeah. than the cost of the subscription to title or spotify or apple music so it's it's like it's a little i get where he's coming from i get it 100 um because he is about his money and snoop is a businessman he's always been that yeah. but it's it's just I'm not sure where it's gonna lead. Like, am I gonna now have to um, fight Diddy with Bad Boy and and <laughs> sign up for another yeah. platform just to hear the Bad Boy albums? Then I gotta go somewhere just to hear the Motown albums. Mm -hmm. Go somewhere else just to hear everything like RCA. It just doesn't make sense to me. I totally feel the same way because I, I even tweeted yesterday. I was like, you know what? I might just get Directv again because I'm tired of <laughs> having eight and ten different programs yeah. and. Hulu just to watch this one show, but I only watch Bel Air on Peacock, so I have to get that. But then HBO right. Max is this, and it's like, it starts to get annoying where I just miss the days of turning TV on, go to my DVR, it's all there. That's it. So if that happens with music, I feel like that will be annoying, and it's even worse with music because even with TV, it's maybe eight or 10, which is still a lot of right. different platforms. But with music, as you said, Bad Boy, now is Arista going to do it? Now is Motown going to do it? Is... um. Is I mean Uptown gonna do it? Is it gonna yeah, be yeah? Like it's like forty different. You know, it's Raucous Records it's gonna so do it. Just many. so many here, Talib. I gotta go Raucous app now. Exactly. Is No Limit gonna do it for theirs? It's like it's so many artists that could do it. They're big enough to do it. Like Beyonce could do it, and she could just yeah. have her music on her yeah, own platform. You know, on her own app. 
Jay could do it. Like Rihanna could possibly do it. So then it's like, you really shit out of luck if you don't own any of this music because you won't find it all in one place. It's it's not accessible anymore. They're making it harder, harder and harder just to listen to good music. Cause you might listen. I love death row, but every album on the label is not great. So why am I paying for one app to listen to, you know, it could be, 10 great albums but that one album yeah. that's not great i'm mad because i gotta pay <laughs> the money for that one album it just yeah. makes no sense yeah. yeah so i mean that that's how i see it so i'm not mad at him for it because the thing is as far as it goes for him he's not losing money by taking it off of these platforms right. because it's like if you're only getting pennies per album or per song play per stream anyway he's not losing so it's like for him it doesn't hurt but just for the regular listener and the thing about looking long term when it comes to a lot of uh, younger fans like even with De La Soul they haven't had their music on platforms so it's young fans who all they no know idea. is streaming apps so they, they can't yeah. listen to it so that'll take away from them being able to hear it so that's that's some of the concerns but I, I mean I feel like even if this is a stepping stone to get somewhere else I'm not mad like it might if it's it a might stepping flop, stone I'm yeah. not mad I'm not yeah, mad at all as, yeah yeah, it might flop as 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 this business decision goes, but long term it might lead somewhere better because maybe the apps will realize, all right, if y'all all are leaving us, yeah, gotta pay you more. So, and I think that's what will happen. Like, I think the yeah. streaming platforms will be um, like pressure to renegotiate the amount in which an artist or a label mm-hmm. gets from licensing their music to whatever app it is. So, yeah. if that's the bigger picture, then I'm yeah. all for it. I'm all for it. But like you mentioned, like with like simple something simple as like music education like yeah i don't want a world where you know in 10 years there are people who have never heard the chronic or <laughs> people who have never heard yeah. doggy style because it hasn't been available it's true and the, and the way the way young folks might see it is they don't even go to wikipedia they go straight to apple music title to see the discography right. they right. might just say dr dre's first album was in 99 because what, what's right. the chronic i don't yeah. even see a list so they, they might assume that's his first album so right yeah, that's the thing. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. So, along with that, uh, we had Coachella that just happened, and everybody's talking about how Doja Cat and Meg killed it. Like, it makes me it makes me mad that we had such a long period of only Nicki Minaj. And of course, I love my Barb's. I love my Nicki Minaj. But the fact that she was <laughs> the fact that she was I got I got put that every time. But, disclaimer. Disclaimer. But but the fact that she was the only one, and now we're realizing that. We could have been missing out because it's like it could have been some other women in that period from 2009 to 2016 that could have right. been at least at a, a similar level or even halfway level. But but just seeing how they killed it is is, is crazy to me. And uh, with Nick, not not Nikki, but with Meg, she dropped that new song with that old that freaking you uh, remix sample slash Queen Latifah Foxy yeah. this and yeah <laughs> like that that track is just an automatic banger. Like it also makes me realize that like. It's generational, but I miss women rapping on them New York beats, on them straight up it, 90s style, grimy, like women with that delivery, like nothing right. can touch them. And yeah. I think that's something like, you know, the game is like flooded with like women rappers right now and everybody's doing their yeah. thing and I'm happy everyone's doing their thing. But that's the yeah. one thing that's been missing for me, at least in the mainstream is like a woman rapping over like a grimy beat. I feel like everybody's been making the same type music for a minute now so now it's time to branch off and do something different i'm happy for meg i hope that you know the song gets the attention that it deserves 
And yeah. like you said, Nikki had such a monopoly on the industry for so long. I don't think people realize how long it was. It was no, just seriously. only yeah. Nikki. Um, and yeah. I think that's that speaks to, you know, her talent and um, her perseverance, of course. But it also speaks to like what happened in that time where it could have been people who were just as talented or more talented than anyone we see now. Like, why were they yeah. not in the forefront? And it could be too late for some of those people. Like their moment may have passed, but yeah, we'll never true. know. So I'm, true. I'm happy for Meg. Doja is, I am the biggest closet Doja cat fan <laughs> because closet, it, she goes against everything that like all my morals, all of my musical training, like everything, it makes no sense. Wow. But I'm it's all true, in. Man. Like I'm just like, yeah. I think this girl is amazing. Like she has the it factor, and I think that's yeah, really what yeah. is pushing her over. But you know, Coachella, um, you know, they were missing some big names this year. You know, they didn't have the yeah. Kanye, and they didn't have uh, Beyonce. Yeah. Um, but with even without those big names, they had the other names. They had the Dojas. They had the Megs. Like. I'm happy about it. Like, I think it's great. Yeah. I, I like the direction that we're going in. And I love that the biggest news from Coachella is these women in rap. I love that. Yeah, that's like, seriously. that's the biggest thing. It's, the it's a beautiful thing. Like, we're in a beautiful space right now. And I want everybody to just embrace that as far as like yeah. women in hip hop are concerned. Yeah, seriously. And uh, one thing that somebody pointed out that I didn't even think about is that when it comes to these festivals, it's getting so saturated, but it's where a lot of these bigger artists are refusing Coachella because, like, Dreamville has their festivals. So it's right. like a lot of times the artists are saying, there's no point in me performing there because if I have my own festival, my fan base can come there. So they don't want to, they're not going to pay to see me twice if they go to Coachella. So, right. Like the uh, Todd of the Creator types, like, you probably won't see them too much at Coachella the next couple of years yep. or for however long. So I'm not mad at that either because personally, I live two hours, two and a half hours from Coachella. I've never been, and I have no desire to go if I'm not hired for it because right. it's like I'm not a fan of that. That uh, I mean, COVID might come back from a 20, 28 to three deficit. Just seeing Listen, the pictures of it, so. just looking at the pictures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. I was happy. I wasn't there. I've never wanted to go to Coachella. Um, yeah. But I'm happy that they had a good time. Hopefully, everybody was safe. I know they weren't. Oh, but yeah. yeah. All we can say. And uh, before we get into our First segment, uh, the biggest news, at least for me, being being me, being all the way West Coast and all that, having this nappy hair right here, being <laughs> being five foot something on the lower half of the scale, Kendrick Lamar is about to come back, finally. Give me some yeah. sound effects, some bombs and some something. Yeah. There we go. Because Finally. I mean, we've been waiting for years, and my prediction was that he was just going to drop out of nowhere like Beyonce did in 2013. Mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be more so like that Tuesday you hear a rumor I heard Kendrick might come out. You might hear a one-minute muffled clip from somebody's car. Right. Like, I heard that's a new Kendrick song, but it might be old because he mentioned something from 2013, so maybe it is old. And then Friday, out of nowhere, really Thursday night for LA, Thursday night, 9 p.m., yep. it just popped up. That's what I was predicting, but as we see, we have a whole month to anticipate that. Less than a month, actually. We have a couple yeah, weeks. Less, yeah, a couple it, weeks. So. And I, yeah. I knew it was coming just because... With the Super Bowl halftime show, like, yeah, I just was like, you, you can't have that stage and completely just waste it, like, especially because we, I think the last couple shows, like, we've mentioned Kendrick's name like a couple times, yeah. like, it was like people are missing him. The game is really missing him. So I'm happy yeah. that it's now and not like later in the year. Now I hope that it actually happens. I, I don't want him to pull yeah. no yeah, stuff where the album is pushed back. Um, but I'm excited because uh, Kendrick is. I'll just go ahead and say it like 
top ten today, especially well, today he's probably like top three. But all yeah, time, I yeah. think that he's even like working his way up in that top ten category just because yeah. the man is like gifted. It's like everything is on point. His flow, the production, his even his image, everything is on point. Yeah, so that's true. I'm excited about it. That's true. I feel like. My question now is like, what direction is he gonna go? Where's the concept gonna be? Because Kendrick just never drops an album where it's just songs. It's never just no. all right. These three songs for the ladies. This is for the club. This is yeah, for no, the no, no, no. This is for the lyricists. It's like even if he hits all those points, there's always a concept behind it. So even, right, as you see, even on Damn, it's like he did have the songs for the ladies, but it tied into the overall concept. So I am curious, like. Seeing what he's done, even with like Baby King, because a lot of folks might, might not realize that's his cousin and that he's kind of rigging some of those songs for him. So it's like, I wouldn't mind hearing him, hearing him on something like um, Family Ties, one of those is anthems. That's one of those anthems that you, that he could do at festivals that'll get people hyped. I so, mean, Kendrick, all, yeah. like, Kendrick always has at least one anthem. Like, so yeah. I know we're going to get one, but like you say, I'm not sure what the subject matter is going to be. Uh, yeah. I think part of the reason that, it's taken him so long to release a new album is because he's been building that concept. So whatever yeah. it is, like I like you said, I do not see him coming out with like a collection of songs that don't really yeah. have a meaning or there's not a story behind what he's doing. So whatever yeah. it is that he's working on or has worked on that's about to get released, I'm ready for it. I know yeah. we're going to get an anthem. It's right before the summer, so I know it's going to be yeah. like a summer banger. Too. That'll yeah. that'll hit, and then they'll they'll probably be something nice for like later in the year that they'll probably use as like a second single, or he probably got like an album track that'll be so hot that it's like we we got no choice. It's, we got to release it as a single. Everybody it happens loves a lot it. of times too. Yeah, yeah, it happens too. So we're gonna see what's gonna happen with that. So let's go ahead and get to our segments. Our first segment is called the rewind segment, where we basically highlight. Artists from the past who may or may not still be making music, may or may not be with us here, but uh, we feel that they deserve their flowers. So to get into that, EB, uh, who would you like to highlight for this episode? I'm going to go with uh, a singer. Her name is Zulima. Um, Zulima. Okay. Really obscure. Like, I don't think a lot of people really know who she is uh, if you're not like like deep into music. But she's originally from Tampa, Florida. If anybody's, Tampa. Oh, yeah, okay. Tampa, she's All from right. Tampa. She's a Florida. Can't girl. Wait with it. Right. Yay! <laughs> she, she was <laughs> the original. She was the original. Um, okay. Like uh, she hit it big in the seventies, but uh, she had two high school friends, and they formed this group called the Lavelles. Um, they got discovered by DC producer Van McCoy. Everybody knows Van McCoy from like the Hustle. That was like his big mm, thing during disco. Yeah. And he signed them to Maxwell Records and changed their name to Faith, Hope, and Charity, which is actually a huge R&B group that a lot of people know about. Um, they released one song called So Much Love, and it hit number 15 on the R&B charts in 1970. They were doing well, and then Zalima went solo in 71, um, just because uh -huh. she like was, you know, every group has that standout star. She was that person. Um, she started working with everybody, Bill Withers, Sly Stone, Roberta Flack, Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye, Gladys Knight. Like she was doing it. She uh, released her debut and it had a cover of If This World Were Mine, that um, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Marvin Terrell Gaye. song. Most people know the Luther Sherilyn version, you know, from the wood. That's the like, wood, the wood. The, yeah, yeah, that's the popular he, he one. He owns it now. He owns it. He now. owns it now. It's his song. Yeah, but she is. had a version of it. It was cool. I, I really liked it. Um, but the only song that she really charted with during that time when she was solo, she did a cover of the Jackson 5 or Michael Jackson's I Want to Be Where You Are. Um, mm. And there's actually a Soul Train performance. You can look that up on YouTube. Uh, she's amazing. 
the song is amazing but during her career um in between 72 and 82 she released seven albums um there's this old show that used to come on called soul that they just released a whole bunch of documentaries about it it was like another version of soul train it was like soul train but with more like they did more with the arts and everything but she had like a performance of maybe five or six songs where she's just sitting at the piano and singing out of this world amazing sadly she died in 2013 though she was 66 Mm. but like she's one of those names one of those voices that people don't talk about and they completely should because she's amazing definitely salute to her and uh rest in peace to her for sure so so for my pick for this episode i'm going with miss regina bell hey regina bell is a um, man so she's a what i would say for sure a legend the legendary singer who Hails from uh, Inglewood, New Jersey, not the Chicago or the L.A. Inglewood, but from Jersey. And um, she basically, she started off, uh, you know, her career opening up for the Manhattans. And she was, uh, and, you know, very involved in music from her childhood and especially being at Rutgers University in Jersey. She sang, you know, as part of their music program there. And one thing, whenever I dis- uh, describe or discuss Regina Bell, I feel like she's the type that gets her credit within certain circles, within certain... Right demographics i feel like she was really like on that strong side of adult contemporary adult contemporary i should say at a time when hip-hop and r&b were confusing and where it was a huge divide happening where it was like the artists who made music for the kids or the, the youth and those who made it for the adults and looking back it's crazy when we realized that she was younger than we are now making the songs that she made because they felt like 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 the bougie auntie music as i always right. say it was that real polished, classy, soulful music that that our aunties love. Like the hood aunties might have liked it a little bit, but probably not as much as the ones who were driving out to, um, you know, to these winery type of trips. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So with that, the hood aunties, yeah, yeah you know, the, the hood aunties like, like uh, you know, a little bit of it. There's there's more on that Millie Jackson side. You know how that goes. But, but yeah, so with her, she had she had so many major songs. So coming in the game, you know, eighty seven, eighty nine, she had songs like Baby Come to Me. And of course, a lot of folks might confuse the two versions between, you know, the uh, Patty Austin, yeah. James Ingram one. Personally, I like hers better. Love hers. Yeah, I, I wrote with hers uh, personally, even though Any, it's a yeah. totally different song, totally different songs. It's the same name. And one of those, um, you know, she had that, she had to make it like it was. And to me, I always joke and say that she was one, one of the queens of like the body and soul time. Uh, was it Lifetime time, commercials? The, what the was commercial, it called? Time, the, the CDs, time Life, time yeah, life Masterpiece. Yeah. Whenever you see those commercials, whenever you um, you were a kid and uh, you were watching TV too late, those commercials come on. You always had a song from Regina Bell in those commercials. So, like a lot of those songs, I heard first from 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 those because the radio, as I was saying at that time, radio was kind of splitting up where it was going more toward like going toward the young the younger type of, type yeah. of sound, but. But with that, she had those songs, and then her biggest song, I would say, had to be that '92, that I'm Aladdin, a whole new world whole that new she made world. with with uh, people Bryson, and yeah. and that's one of those songs that all the kids knew for sure. So it was like that being a Disney hit. That's probably one of Disney's biggest hits. I'm saying that's probably one of their top three biggest in terms of just like notoriety and just everybody yeah. knew what that was. And then she came with an album in '93, which I, what I would say. Was probably her most successful, the Passion album. That was the only one I think that went platinum. Yeah. And uh, listening to that for my first time actually was last week because it was like, let me just see what she was making at that time because I heard um, "If I Could," "If I Could" is one of those songs you hear at weddings because like <laughs> a lot of times it'll be the the uh, mother son song because it's right. one of those songs about the 
mom speaking to her kids about, you know, if I could, you know, do it a certain way. But hearing that album for the first time, to me, it's always crazy when I hear an album for the first time that's 25, 30 years old, because in some cases you hear albums that sound extremely dated. Yep. In some cases you hear albums and you say, all right, I can see this song being big and a hit back then, but it sounds kind of old now. Then you have the ones that you feel like, wow, this, this is still fire. This sounds better than everything that's out now. And that's kind of how I felt with this album, just hearing that for the first time. Everything was just so lush and, and just so polished and musical. And that song I heard called My Man, I heard that. And it shows that she had that intense uh, jazz training. It's where yeah. everything about that song was just so so uh, riveting, the way they built up, the way they had those change-ups. And I feel like like she had major talent, still does. I mean, she's made 10 albums, still the last does. three albums. Last three albums were actually gospel. So she's on the gospel circuit now. And she actually just performed about two months ago for the uh, Super Bowl gospel celebration. So... Uh, she's one of those artists I feel like does deserve even more love than she gets. Like she does get love from a certain segment of uh, listeners, but overall, I think she should be mentioned along with the greats. Yeah, no, she's one of my favorites. I think like her, Mickey Howard, um, yeah. like Melissa Morgan. Like vocally, they are amazing. She can do like Phyllis Hyman songs and Anita Baker songs. She sounds yeah, great. Yeah, for sure. Like Regina is the truth and. I wish more people knew. There's actually a documentary um, for that Passion album on YouTube. Oh, wow. Like she released really? a short really? little, like during the making of, and she showcased like, a lot of her jazz influence. So if you listen and check it oh, out. wow, yeah. yeah. Definitely, definitely got to check that out. So, all right. So salute to Regina Bell for sure. And next up, we have that Fast Forward segment. In the Fast Forward segment, we like to highlight artists who are making waves, who are uh, who have potential to blow up and be something special. And we think that we should... You know, that deserve to be highlighted. So for this episode, EB, who are you choosing for your fast forward? Uh, it's a singer from the UK. No surprise. That's me. Um, All the time. Uh, every her, time. <laughs> her real name is Sophie Bond, but she goes by Ayama. And I have to make sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's spelled I-Y-A-M-A-H. Um, but she's uh, from Brighton, England. Her mother is British, a uh, white lady, and her father is Nigerian, um, but from England. Um, growing mm. up, like she's one of those people that fully embraces the term neo soul, and she describes her okay. music as a mix of soul, jazz, and with a lot of reggae elements. Uh, growing up, mm. she listened to a lot of reggae. Actually, she says that African drumming and reggae were her first big influences. That's what she would hear in the house. Um, and then as that got old, as she got older and grew, that evolved into like dub. So she started listening to a lot of that. Um, when she was 19, she moved to London to further explore her father's Nigerian heritage and what that meant to her since she grew up in a predominantly white place. Uh, once she moved there, she started listening to every fucking body. I'm talking huh. The Roots and Tribe and Most Def, Lauren Hill, Amy Winehouse, and then going back, listening to people like Aretha Franklin and Etta James. I think her voice is amazing. Um, I'm curious to see what type of uh longevity she'll have and if she'll explore other sounds outside of the uh r&b genre she has released two eps truth episode one and truth episode two and one album uh in 2021 called tough love she's compared a lot to georgia smith and mahalia mm. um if anybody wants to know like who she would sound like um, and they all have plans to work together. And she says it's specifically so people can hear the differences in 
who they are, their voices, their oh, artistry, wow. which I wish we had more of. You know, we always say everybody sounds just alike, just alike. We well, do. <laughs> put them on one track. Yeah. yeah. Put them on one track and see Let's if you see. can tell them yeah. apart. So it'll be a great test. But I really want everybody to go and check out um, either the EPs or the album, preferably all three. Uh, she has a great voice and she's uh, really like one of those people who I, I think with, the right timing, she'll hit it really, really big. Gotcha. You. you said it's pronounced Ayama. 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna be on on the lookout for her for sure. Because as you said, it, it it's crazy how a lot of artists do like to uh, reject that neo soul um, genre yeah, the title. title. Yeah. Even back back when it was popping, people were yeah. Rejecting it a lot. So, I got, I've gotten cussed yeah. out by like some of the faces. Wow. Of Neo Soul wow. for, for interviewing and being like, yeah, Neo Soul. Nah, I'm not Neo Soul. I'm music. Okay, I get it. <laughs> it's like, all right. All it's right. just a marketing we label, we people. We get it. It's just a marketing label. That's all it label. is, yeah. It's, all, it's, it's all just a marketing, marketing label. We, we get it. We get it. So, okay. So, for my pick, so just a few minutes ago when we were talking about, uh, you know, before we started the whole um, uh, episode, we were talking about how Meg had that aggressiveness and how I missed that New York type of aggressive style from the women. Yep. And this pick here is um, a young lady uh, rapper from New York. Her name is Lola Brooke. Lola Brooke is uh, actually from Brooklyn. That's why she has a hey. name. Brooke, Brooke in the name is for Brooklyn. She's from Bed-Stuy. Lola actually came from Lola Bunny. So is this one of those combination names that, you know, it makes sense when you you hear what she has. And uh, she's a, 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 young, a youngster, of course, because she fell in love with hip-hop with 50 Cent Wangster. And it's funny when I hear... Uh, the the young artists say that that's the song that got them because I I'm an old head. The song that got me was probably uh, Hip Hop Parade, which was a whole exact decade earlier. So Wangsta. So yeah, Wangsta was like the, wow. the song that really got got her listening and loving loving uh, hip hop. But with her, so she's in this new class of New York rappers where I didn't realize that there were that many drill songs slash artists. And one thing for better or worse, we could say when it comes to New York, whenever a new style comes out. Everybody kind of uses that style. Everybody. So I can say compared to, I mean, most places are similar. I'm not going to say that that's a huge difference from anywhere else. I right. feel like LA might be an exception because some stay gangster, some stay ratchet, some, you know, some stay odd future style. But but when it comes to Atlanta, even Detroit, you know, Miami, it's kind of similar. So I'm not going to say that's a huge difference. But yeah. with that, once Pop Smoke uh, busted the door open for drill, it feels like 90% of any new New York artist you hear, especially from the city, they have a drill type of sound. So with her, she's part of that generation, but because she was rapping before um, before drill was really... And, and let me sp uh, specify and say New York drill. New York when drill, When I'm yeah. saying drill, I'm not talking about Chicago drill, which is the where the name originally came from. It's a huge controversy with that right now because Fivio Forum is kind of making it sound like like drill was credited by New York, but we know that the title of drill came from Chicago, then the sound came from the UK, just to be specific. But all that to say, uh, before this sound really became a huge dominant thing in New York, uh, Lola Brooke was making making songs that sounded a little bit more like Detroit. And Detroit in this era has a much more, it's, it's comparable to the Bay Area, but it has a much darker sound, I would say. It's a lot of 95, 90, 98 BPM, kind of upbeat, Fast hi-hats, but it has a real dark sound, kind of strings, mm -hmm. uh, the heavy bass line. So she, a lot of her best and biggest songs really came from that that sound. So that's like uh, Back to Business is probably my favorite song from her. It has kind of that heavy Detroit bass line. And her biggest song that I heard is making noise in New York right now is called Don't Play With It. And that's straight up Detroit. It has that kind of fast speed to it. But she's one of those just aggressive rappers. Reminds me a lot of Remy. Like 
the way Remy had those bars, she's talking trash. Like she's like, you know, if you a guy, you ain't gonna step over me, and I might pull a gun on you first. So don't even try me. I might just rob you just because you know I don't like you on this date. You know, you you talking too much. Like she has that kind of aggression and that kind of sense of humor with it too. So that's kind of what her what her style is with that. She has some other songs that are banging called Options and Bop, and she's getting uh, some cosigns. She's got cosigned by Jada. Meek and DJ Envy. So everybody who's in that East Coast circuit is definitely rocking with her. And I feel like just hearing her rap, she's actually one of the best rappers from this sound because I've heard a lot of these uh, drill songs. It's crazy. The title had a playlist with 90 of them and there was no Pop Smoke on there. It might have been maybe two songs from Pop Smoke, but I had no idea that it was that big of a thing out there. So next time I go to New York, I'm hoping I don't go to a club and it's all drill for a whole four hours. But it's like... There are some songs that's coming from it that are dope. I've heard some songs that do kind of sound a little bit different from the usual, but overall it's that same type of uh, hi-hat pattern that came from UK. But I would say when it comes to this rap skill, I feel like even if that sound itself goes away in, in two or three years, who knows what's going to happen with it, she'll still be able to spit. I can tell that she can spit on anything you throw at her. I want to hear her on some, whether it's what Meg just did with her new track on that old uh, 90 sample or some Premier type, some Pete Rock, or even some Annie Up type of M.O.P. type records. I feel like she could spit on that. I haven't heard her do any type of twerk, twerk, you know, uh, whatever it is on that side, and and she might not have to. I feel like she might be the uh, the female rapper coming saying, look, like that that lane is plenty of rappers who could do that. You know, that's not me. I'm going my direction, and I support that the whole way. So once again, that is Lola Brooke coming from uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I um, drill is like. In in New York specifically, like everybody is. Mary got a drill song on the last album with uh, on the Wait, new album she? with yeah with uh, uh, wow. Fabio. Um, Fabio, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. They they got a song, yeah. a drill song. So it's like everybody's doing it. So I'm always happy when there's someone who is like, yes, I can do it. Let me show you I can do it. But yeah. that's not necessarily the lane that I want to live in. Um, Lola probably will give me what I want in hip hop. And I, yeah. and what I want is I want to return to like the early to mid nineties, like somewhere between like 92, 96, like yeah. grimy New York, like, like somebody like Remy would do, um, like Kim was doing, you know, like Fox, you know, I want that to come. Um, and I feel like Lola might be able to do it. Um, yeah. I, I just, I really want her to blow up. I know sometimes like the, market is saturated with so many women right now in rap which is a great thing but sometimes people get looked over because of that and i don't want that to happen to her i, I really want her to like rise to the top and be one of the forces because we already have the people who are doing the twerk music we got the people who are doing the drill like everybody yeah. has to be a leader in some lane i want yeah. her to to create and lead in the lane and maybe birth some other babies who will yeah. follow her lead or, you know, birth their own lane. That's not what everybody else is doing. That's real. And it's crazy because it's like when it comes to rap, it's wild that we even feel like it's saturated with women when it's still technically it's still, more, yeah. way more male rappers. But it right. feels like even when it comes to fan bases, like one thing I hope that can happen is just that men can finally start respecting and listening to, to women artists because yeah. even even seeing how mad they were that that Meg was being little baby for awards and I'm like Meg is a bigger star and I I was arguing with, with the homie a few weeks ago who was trying to tell me that Yo Gotti is a bigger star than Megan and I'm like Yo who what planet right. are no, you from no, like is this no. is this shows how biased men could be with that and yeah. I feel like 
with Lola and, and a lot of these new uh, female artists, I want I want it to be a case where the men are playing them as much as the women are to where it doesn't feel like they have to depend on only having a woman audience because the, the right. men have the men and the women. So They got the men and the women and men are allowed to yes. make different types of music. Like there yeah, are people exactly. making different types. I think the reason we look at it like it's so saturated is because the women that we do see, they're all kind of making the same music right now. And I think that's just, yeah. that's more of a reflection of us as a collective, as the music listeners um, and what we are digesting digesting, and what they think that we like as opposed yeah. to them. I'm not faulting them for all doing what they're doing because everybody's grinding and I, I love it. But I, I want Lola to, you know, break the mold a little bit. Like, let's give us something that we aren't getting. Yeah, definitely, definitely, for sure. So, Salute to Lola. We're going to see what happens. So at this time, we're going to take a quick break. When we come right back, it's time for the drop. We have a special guest producer in the building representing that jersey. And then, you know, we got to end off with that beat match. We're going to see what happens with that. So in the meantime, go ahead and grab yourself a glass of water and we'll see you in a second. All right, so we are back. This is The Drop um, here on Behind the Wheels with DJ Artistic and EB. So today we have a special guest. We have a producer who is one of the dopest producers in the game right now. He's also a DJ as well, representing uh, Jersey. He's been a, a big part of just the the, uh, the Philly movement, the soul movement, producing R&B and hip-hop, um, you know, and he's worked with everybody from Meek to Rihanna and especially Jasmine Sullivan. He's on that recent... Uh, Award-winning, Grammy Award-winning at that Grammy. Hotels album. Grammy Award-winning, you already know. So <laughs> I want to introduce you all to the boy uh, Dilemma. D Dilemma, what's good with you? What's popping? What's popping? Thank you for having me. Big fan of the show. Big fan of you as a DJ, Man, as a fellow you. DJ. You know, so yeah. I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you for uh, having me. Of course, man. Thank you for that. So let's just let's let's just hop right into it. So let's get into it. A couple of weeks ago. Grammy Sunday, everybody is talking on social media. Mm -hmm. And one thing about the Grammys is that we know how it is being just a, a black music fan. It's where we all have mixed feelings about it. It's where mm -hmm. some folks want to say it's not relevant. They always, every year, it's the same <laughs> conversation. We should start our own award show because mm -hmm. they're not really awarding us for you know what we deserve. But then at the same time, we know the importance that it holds because it's not just about what we like or about us recognizing uh, each other. It's about bigger uh, feats within the industry. So with that... Everybody was rooting for Jasmine Sullivan. And they, mm -hmm. they announced their name for that album of the year. Everybody was hyped. I didn't see a single negative comment, which is rare <laughs> for social media. Everybody was happy about that. So, mm -hmm. And with that, you were a producer on that album. So yes. first of all, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man, that was an amazing experience. Uh, so happy for Jasmine and everybody on the project. And, you know, yeah. definitely her engineer, Joe, Joe Logic, who pretty much started the whole relationship between, you know, me and Jasmine. Um, yeah. So just super happy for her. We was kind of nervous because, you know, we saw hmm. her, we knew her was going to perform. And then, yeah. you know, when they announced the name, the way that it was said, it was just, you know, it was like, oh, and it was like, we thought <laughs> he was going to say uh, her. I caught that. I caught that too. Yeah. So yeah. everybody was like, it was like a late response. Everybody was like, wait, what? Yeah. And yeah. then when the cameras went to her, we was like, oh, we lit. We up. 
So, yeah. um, but it was an amazing experience, you know, uh, Jasmine being nominated for like, you know, 12, 15 uh, nominations and not winning one. Yeah. Super happy yeah. that she finally, you know, brought one home. Um, Cause this yeah. one was homegrown. This one was definitely homegrown. And um, so it, really it was, was super yeah. exciting. I definitely shed a, a thug tear. Too. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you earned it. You earned it because I feel like everybody was watching. A lot of folks were expecting it to be. Um, I think who who else was up was up for that award? I know it was. Oh, uh, five five artists. I know her me. was up. I knew uh, John Batiste was up. And Batiste, okay. okay. I want to say Snow. I believe Snow, Snow was up. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. So it's like just seeing that that happen. And as far as that album goes, like it's one of those albums that I feel like was transformational. Like it's one of those yeah. that we're gonna see the impact for years. Mm -hmm. The whole concept of it too, I love how she had the skits in between, even here how I'm still I'm gonna ask Issa. I don't know if that was real, the story she told or not. <laughs> I'm gonna ask her like was that did that really happen back at Berkeley or is that just something you made up for the album? But <laughs> I really can't tell. But as far as the, the making of the song that you produced on there, uh how how would that uh come about? I know you're a writer and producer on it. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean um we were lucky enough to to produce uh the other side. And yeah. it actually started a long, long time ago, maybe like seven, eight years ago. The the idea of the beat started in New York. Me, uh, mm. Matt Wong, and and Joe Logic. We were just together, just vibing out, and that's when yeah. the baseline came about. The doom, 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 doom. and we just mm. sat on it for a few years. And um, fast forward, Jasmine is having a bunch of producers over at her house and we're all in different rooms and we're just, we don't know what we're oh. creating. She just wants a bunch of producers over and we're just yeah. vibing out and creating. So she's recording upstairs. There's a piano player in the living room. I'm in the bar room adding oh. drums and we're all there for at least four or five hours just banging out and she's just going from room to room, checking on everybody. And as I'm packing my stuff to leave, I know Joe's recording her and I hear doom, 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 and I'm like, oh wow, why is she mm, that's interesting. I I didn't expect her to get on something like that. So I go up yeah. in the room and the first thing I hear is, I'ma move to Atlanta. I'ma find me a rapper. And I was like, Oh my goodness, she's back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I literally just give Joe that look like, I'm out of here. Y'all got y'all are good. I'm going home. Yeah. My, and, my, part, um, my job is done. Yeah. And yeah. he texts me like, yo, she's over here killing this record. And, um, you know, this is the second time working with Jasmine on an album. We were on um, reality shows. So, you know, we've already kind of, we know her excellence, especially yeah. when it comes to that pen. Um, so we were just super, I was super excited that she jumped on it and she just approached it that way. Cause I just thought it was just a super real story, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, so I'm just super excited. For sure. When it comes to Jasmine, I feel like she is one of the few artists in this um, in this era that I feel like really had a very long development process because mm -hmm. we we knew who she was at least that was two thousand eight nine right when it right. was uh, her and Missy the needs you yeah. bad and the going in circles and all those yeah. and the, mm -hmm. like it's been a while but it's like and she came out the gate with with hits but it felt like like she didn't get to that high high level until recently but that really happens a lot of artists come. They have some hits, they go away, or they might, they might, you know, it's it's hard to really uh, predict how it happens in this in this era. And with Absolutely. that, I always mm. talk about like artist development. One thing that we always talk about is artists being developed, and mm -hmm. you can tell that there's a lack of development with certain artists. Mm -hmm. To me, with her, she's the case that she already she she was amazing as a singer, even as a kid. We've seen the yeah. clips of her singing from the Wiz back in was that high school or yep. I think that was high school. But mm -hmm. um, in terms of that, how do you feel? Uh, 
when it comes to this era, when it comes to artist uh, development, do you think that is this something that us as just fans don't realize these artists are being developed, but we just don't always see the results the same way? Or absolutely, absolutely, okay. absolutely. I think artist yeah. development is something that's always getting overlooked. Um, because yeah. we see the result, but we don't know how they got here. We see the Doja mm. Cats, we see the Hers, we see the Jasmines, but we don't realize that they was started when they was 12, yeah. 13, 14 with mm. someone. Yeah. So shout out to everyone that, that is developing acts and doing it the correct way, creating your superstar uh, so that when the light is on them, they know exactly how to move, how to, yeah. uh, you know, I call it not thinking about walking. No, none of us think about walking. Mm. We just walk. Mm. So oh, wow. it's just like wow. Kobe. It's just like Jordan. It's just like LeBron. I don't, I'm sure that they don't think about dribbling. They just dribble. So it just has to be that it's in instinct. you, you know, yeah. um, and that development of, especially early, it's kind of hard when you are working with an artist. Not that it's impossible, but it's, it's fairly hard when you find an artist in their 20s, in their mid-20s, and then starting artist development because they're an mm. adult now. They have bad yeah. habits. They kind of mm -hmm. have to break out of all of that. And um, sometimes if they don't catch a real L, that'll make them restart. It's kind of yeah. difficult. So that's why everyone grabs them in their teens because it's easier to kind of mold and give them all the great information to prepare them what for what's coming you know and shout out to yeah. jeff robertson who had alicia keys first and then you know yeah, yeah. varner and now her and you know shout yeah. out to jasmine for just i was having a conversation with crunk who is um part of salam remy's family and he was telling me yeah. how when they was working on you know the fearless album she was downstairs studying Kim Burrell, like playing the wow. album and just wow. every run that she would do, she would pause the CD studying and just runs. for yeah. hours, just you downstairs. Can hear the like you can hear it clearly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that obsession is necessary. And I think artist development with everything becoming very easy to record and release music, I think it's, yeah. it's the ugly stuff that nobody really want to do. So a lot of artists skip that step. You know, and mm. for us producers, sometimes we don't value that as well. Sometimes I'll grab an artist because they're super talented. They have followings yeah. or they can sing, but their mind isn't ready. And mm. you do a That's whole a project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You do a you do a whole project. You're selling out shows. You're doing all this stuff. And then you start to see what's going to keep them from being a champion. Um, so... I think artist development is, is a super key of just making sure that the artist is fully unaware of who they are, what they're selling, and what they're yeah. about to get themselves into. I definitely agree with all, all that because, it, as you said, as you can always tell, too. And that's a good point you make about them getting artists as, as teens. And it seems like it's kind of generational, too, because back in the 90s, a lot of those artists came out as teens. And right. I, I didn't realize because I was younger than them. I was younger than Monica and Brandy and Aaliyah. <laughs> But like looking back, I'm like, they were 15 singing like that. Yeah. Like even even aside from the the subject matter, it was just the fact that those songs were so developed and polished. And Monica's voice sounded like she was 35 back then when she was 15. So right. Kill that me. part was crazy. That part was crazy. So yeah. when it comes to um to R&B as a whole, one thing that people always do talk about, I'm sure you hear it too, is that R&B at least is dead or was dead or like especially in the mid 2010s it's like yeah the last yeah. few years you're hearing a lot a lot of folks kind of um to me if you ask me i feel like the women are killing it the most i think the guys got to catch up right now the women I are killing it right to, now the women yeah. are killing it right now yes 
Yeah, but what's your opinion? Because I'm sure you've heard it before too. People talking about R&B isn't the same. It's changed and I this, think, this and that. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's evolving. I think right. R&B yeah. is evolving. For the gentlemen, you're starting to get hybrids of a little bit rap rhythms and you know it's a lot, it's, it's a lot. And, yeah. and it's it's happening so i think that um with the influence of just hip-hop and just popular music people are growing up the, these younger kids are growing up just marrying the two you still have your traditional artists yeah. like, you know the lettuces and her and the giveons and you know uh what i thought Daniel Caesar was going to do. Um, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I mean. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then you have, you yeah. know, those, the, you know, the Chloe and Hollies, the, the Ellic yeah. Bellingers, the, or, uh, the hybrids and, you know, yeah. the Chris's. And so I think it's expanding. I think what we're looking for is a balance of traditional mixed with today's. I think uh, yeah, we are sure. missing like straightforward R&B, you know, love songs. Right. Um, yeah. So that's when a Jasmine record comes out or a Summer Walker project comes out. It's being so well received mm -hmm. because it's like giving, it's filling a, a huge hole, you know, yeah. in it. Yeah. And so. The women are killing the game right now, but I think R&B is definitely back uh, with Lucky and even with Silk Sonic and everything that they're doing. Yeah, uh, shout sure. out to D-Mile and everybody. So I think it's there. It's healthy. Um, but it is evolving just like anything else, just like hip hop is evolving right now. I definitely agree. I feel like one thing a lot of people say, which I do agree with, is that a lot of the commercial R&B on the radio is not always <laughs> as good or comparable to what we grew up on, but right. it's a lot of great music that you can find on titles, Spotify playlists from artists who are not as well known. Now, one thing that you may, you probably would agree with, with this because you're a DJ. So mm -hmm. the only thing that I would say is that I do wish we had more upbeat party R&B, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to ask you, so with you being a producer and DJ, because... Mm -hmm. Like I used to produce, of course, before I was a, a DJ. So mm, okay, when it comes when it comes just to just knowing how music is made compared to how people respond to it, one thing I, I can say so um, it's it, it becomes generational. It's where the last I would say eighteen years, a lot of the the records that us DJs heard that were R and B upbeat records, we heard and thought this is gonna be a hit because it's upbeat, it's good energy to it. Mm -hmm. It never works when it comes to the crowds, and it's like. Mm. I have to realize maybe a year ago, all these songs that I like are usually the ones that have more of a 90s, even 80s type of upbeat feel. Right. And these younger crowds didn't really grow up partying to that type of music. Now, they do love, mm -hmm. young crowds do love the Ushers and the Marios. Mm -hmm. the, you don't have to call it a Just a Friend. They still love Candy Rain and mm -hmm. New Edition type songs. But like one, one example that I'll give is um, the most clear-cut example I can give is for Chris Brown. So uh, tell me if you agree. When I first heard Fine China... Most of us Ooh. thought Fine China was out of here. I thought that was going to be a huge yeah. super hit. Yep. It was not a flop, but it was just a mediocre, okay, people halfway like it. Then yep. a year later, you get Loyal. Loyal, as you said, had the kind of hip-hop hybrid. The content was hip-hop based. The the way he's singing, of course, Todd Sign wrote that one, you know, and mm -hmm. it had more than hip-hop, just the content. These hoes ain't Loyal versus Fine China. Just the content alone was a contrast, but... Loyal was the biggest song that summer, I feel like. Right. And then you even got songs like Post to Be where everybody's favorite line was about eating ass to, like groceries. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so yeah. So it took me a while to realize when it comes to, to R&B upbeat songs, if they don't have a hip hop feel, even with Beyonce, like Love on Top was my favorite song from her for the whole decade. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the club, 
It was Formation. It was 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. Even Diva back in 2009, which was basically mm-hmm. a Millie flip. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how do you feel about uh, when it comes to R&B upbeat production? Do you feel like, is it, is it generational? I'm just the old head who just prefers these, maybe some gospel chords and a third verse bridge, <laughs> and that's what I like? Or is it... Yeah. No, nah, I, th- I think you hit it. You, it's, it's great talking to a DJ that kind of can break down this because as you're saying all of these, I know the D- the BPMs and the yeah, BPMs has exactly. definitely changed. Yeah. For me, yeah. it was don't for Bryson Tiller. Right. That song changed everything, didn't it? Yo, I yeah. was like, why is yeah. this working? <laughs> like, why no, did everybody seriously. just turn up? It's like 90 beats per minute. It's like slow and but it's 40, 45 technically, crazy enough. It's really 45. Yeah. Crazy. That's slow. And I'm like, okay, we have now entered into a new vibe now, you know, where you can kind of play this at the power hour and still get lit. And I feel like everybody just want to sing now. Everybody want to sing. Yeah. So finding those records, I feel like the, the fine Chinas and, you know, the... Those records like, will always yeah. be there because they're nostalgic yeah. from like Michael and and all of that stuff. But today's R and B, they want they uh, they want vibes. It's they, a different type of bounce to it. Yeah, they yeah. Want vibes like, and like, hip hop. And a lot of it, I think, is because this generation, what they grew up on. Is simply the hybrid between R&B and hip hop. The previous generations, the reasons why a song like Fine China will stick out is because it reminds you of something else where these people were listening to different genres. They were listening to soul, but at the same time, pop, they were listening to a little country. You know, they heard disco in the house. There was funk. So they were pulling elements from all these different genres. And that's what made the package that we all love. But now this generation, they didn't have that. They like once hip hop and R&B got married, it changed the game, and now that's yeah. all they're listening to. That's where they're pulling their influences from, and you'll mm-hmm. hear them do the interviews, and you're like, well, who do you like? And they're all naming the same people. It's the <laughs> yeah, same people really in do. the same order from the same genre. So it's like, well, you're not listening <laughs> to anything time. else. It's like every time. And I think that's really why these there's a lack of the R&B party tracks is because they're only listening to hip hop and R&B. So if something does not have Mm. a feel, if something does not have the hip hop edge, then nobody, you know, commercially, you know, mainstream, they're not really paying attention. And I Mm -hmm. think that's like the key point that bothers me is like, no one is listening to anything else other than what's spoon fed to them and the industry in oh. turn, which is why we say, you know, people are like, oh yeah, mainstream R&B ain't where it at. Well, they're, spe- they're spoon feeding you like they were spoon fed. So until you want more, until right. you go out and you're listening to something that's just not soul, just not R&B, just not hip hop, you're gonna get the same result over and over. It'll take somebody like Jasmine hitting it big or a person mm-hmm. like Ari, like doing what they're doing and pulling all these elements to make it mainstream again. But mm-hmm. it'll yeah. be a collective thing where they all have to do it. Like when Chris did Fine China, he was really the only person releasing something that sounded that like era. that. Yeah, you know, in, in, yeah. in his age yeah. range, you know, like yep. they're you know the the older people are out there, they're doing their thing. But in his age range, yeah. he's the only one. So it it it's a it'll be a collective effort. I mm-hmm. want to do it. I hope it happens. But you know, it just it'll take time. It's yeah. coming. It's coming. I yeah. think once we start making it popular and cool again, right. I saw it with the Neo Soul vibe. So it's like I grew mm. up in Jersey and saw the Neo Soul vibe, just being from Jersey, watching everything happening in Philly, 
with, mm-hmm. you know, music and, and uh, Jill and the Neo Soul thing died. But then you saw the internet gravitate yeah. to the Neo Soul vibe. And then now it was like yeah. brand new again. Yep. And I'm like, how come we always do that? How come <laughs> we kind of give our thing a couple of years and then we off of it? But then when it comes yes. back again, it's like... Look what I found. <laughs> yeah. But it's so, you're right. It's so many uh, recent artists that I have heard that do sound just like D'Angelo. Just I mean, D'Angelo, I mean, How Does It Feel is probably one of the most influential songs. I would say after winning a million in 96, I would say How Does It Feel is yeah. one of the most influential just from that three, four times signature alone, just the way people mm-hmm. use that. Even like the Giveon, Like I Want You comes from that. And mm-hmm. there's so many songs that come from that same exact... Exact school. So that does make sense. And even one thing that's that's wild about Neo Soul is that even with that being based off 70 Soul, that gave us a lot of good upbeat party records too. Cause even yeah. like like music had the just friends and even D'Angelo the uh, left right. And if you want to count even Coffee Brown after party, that might, that wasn't directly Neo Soul, but it was still in that time period right. where mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Lucy Pearl dance tonight, all those. Yeah. Right, right. That was yeah. the, that was the evolution of it of kind of like, all right, what if we did this as you know, uh, uh, a group, you know, what would that look yeah. like? And, you know, it was still all the same ingredients. So I just think, you know, it's a different time and I feel like we got to appreciate what we have, you know, everything yeah. that Silk Sonic did is amazing, but it wasn't like we haven't felt it. This right is, for. we haven't felt it for so long. That's the only thing. Mm. And I think we need to kind of cherish our, uh, our music better. I think we should appreciate our music better. You know, it shouldn't, you know, just have to disappear for us to uh, appreciate it again. I definitely agree with that. Because, I mean, yeah, Silk Sonic, that's one of the things with them that can make them somewhat controversial. It's like most people do love it, but then there's a lot of folks who have valid complaints. Like, I mean, EB is... That's me. Like, I, I got yeah, all the complaints, you know, but... Yeah. And I, yeah. I, get, I, get, like, I get why, though. It's just because yeah. it's like, yeah. this is not a new thing. It's not like Columbus discovering America, like... This has been some shit that yeah. we have been listening to. And even while they're on their rise to the top, there are other people right now doing that who have been doing that, but they're mm. not getting the attention because mm. it takes a, a face like Bruno to bring mm-hmm. that. Like if Anderson had tried to do this project by himself, I guarantee you it would not yeah. be. He's doing it. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's been doing it. Like, no worries. It, 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 it would have went. Yeah. nowhere but because you have a big uh face or a big pop name attached mm-hmm. people are paying attention and then i'm like well you kind of diminishing the value of anyone who's been on this and who's been doing it for years because you're mm-hmm. acting like they're saving something that is not dead didn't need saving or they are like the savior of an oh. of a entire genre which I'm still confused by like you like you know mm-hmm. oh man they they saving R and B they bringing real R and B back no <laughs> it's been here it it, it never went uh... anywhere you just got used to listening to this hip hop R and B hybrid for so long that right. when you heard right. something that had a gospel chord or something <laughs> that was jazz influenced it's foreign to you because you never listen to jazz you never listen to gospel yeah. all you listen to yeah. are the same people I think you need both I think yeah. you need someone that can that can expose it to a, a brighter audience. Right. Because even when he did the uh, the New Jack Swing album. Yeah, yeah. You know, 24 Karat, yeah. I yeah. went to go see him live and I was just yeah, looking. I went. And yeah. it started with like Mint Condition and like all of these like class. I think the thing about Bruno that you kind of got to love is that he definitely lets you know where the inspiration he came gives credit. from. Mm-hmm. He gives the credit. He gives the credit. Yeah. 
So it's yeah. like, all right, at least no one's saying that he created this thing. And right. you know, um, yeah. so I get what you're saying though, EB. I get I yeah, totally, yeah. but I like somebody big has to do it because you know, our champions aren't doing it. So right. somebody kind of gotta just do it to be like, yo, no, this uh, was dope. So so with that, I'm I'm gonna ask you because I I think me and EB uh, did mention it before. So when you think about it, so as we said, Bruno, we know he, even though he he could almost pass for black because of his little afro he has now, we know he's, I mean, unless his daddy got some black somewhere. Oh, I ain't seen his 23andMe result, but all I'm saying, of course, we know he's not black, black. Now, mm-hmm. we had Timberlake who was doing, Timberlake and Robin Thicke had two of the biggest throwback soul-influenced songs of mm-hmm. the, the last 10 years. Of course, we had the suit and ties and Blurred Lines was huge. Yep. One thing that we've always said is that that the non-black artists can make that type of music. The, the throwback soul and the masses love it. Everybody loves it. But we, we've always kind of argued, if Usher, Chris Brown, I don't even want to say his name because of what's happening with him, but even the Trey songs, mm-hmm. whoever else is in that lane, do you feel that they would get away with making the same type of throwbacks? Because the, the thing with Usher, just to be uh, blunt about it, we all know Usher's kind of been... Confessions was the biggest thing ever. Still my favorite, probably yeah. uh, R&B album in the last 20 years overall. 2008, he came back with Love in this Club, which was trendy, got a little mm-hmm. love, kind of burnt out. Mm-hmm. Then he went OMG. From there, he's kind of been lost where he mm-hmm. either goes deep soulful, he'll, he'll give you a good kisser, doesn't really get that much love. Mm-hmm. Then he'll give you, you know, the Bad Habits was a little trendier, didn't get any love. I feel like with Usher, he hasn't really had anything at that level. For him to be as big as he was in 04. He's kind of struggled, but even when he does go soulful, even with Blur Lines, he had a Blur Lines clone called She Wants to Give It to You that people probably forgot about. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was a direct yep. clone. Yep. It didn't go anywhere. Yep. And it's like, with Nikki. I wonder, yeah, with Nikki, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if he made Blur Lines, would it work? Like, is there an issue with, like, because even with Bruno opening it up to where, okay, Bruno's making soul, so will the masses and everybody else like it? If a black artist gives you the same thing, or, or is it going to be? I feel like we judge black artists differently a lot of times. If they're we making do. stuff that's that's vintage, it's like we've heard that before. So we want you to make something that's more fast forward. Mm-hmm. Right? It also, it also, I agree. I think we do judge black artists a little bit different sometimes. Mm. And there's no disrespect to Robin Thicke or Justin Timberlake. They just was exposed to more across the board. Mm-hmm. So uh, they can kind of like shape it differently. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They can be characters. Right. You know, I think Bruno is a character. You can't yeah. like Honestly, say he's yeah. this or that. With yeah. Usher, he kind of has to evolve and kind of show uh, us that he's morphing into this person that can, that then we would understand blurred lines. If he, 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 he's still like, you know, Confessions yeah. ushered at most people. Yeah. So yeah. if he started to kind of like, you know, oh, I'm going to be on my vintage joint, and he literally just stayed in that and, you know, was intentional of showing, oh, Usher's been on his um, nostalgia throwback joint, and then he dropped something, we will mm. be able to kind of like, oh, well, you know, he's been on this type of way for a minute. Coming out of nowhere, it will be hard, you know, mm. and I, but I, only if you are not an artist that, is a character. Right. Yeah. And I feel like Bruno can literally drop this, go to the seventies, go to, you know, he can go to the fifties if he wants to. And so, we, yeah, yeah. so I think it kind of lines into the brand of the artist too. They can get away. Justin can get away with it. Cause 
you know, he grew up in the pop world. He was he was already accustomed to the thing. Robin yeah. Thicke was still being, I guess, understood. Yeah. Because mm. uh, what you saying, character, it's like, I didn't want to use that word because it sounds offensive, but somebody just pointed out, which I, I, I ignore it, but I'm like, wow, when Bruno came out, it was doo-wops and hooligans. He had that 60s, 50s look, the slick right. back hair, the shades, the old Temptations jacket. Mm-hmm. Then he went New Jack Swing. Now he's going 70s, and it's true. He's been able to, like, whatever he wants to dress up as, he'll do his hair different. Now he yeah. has the, the David Ruffin fro versus yeah. having the, um, the slick back Frankie Lyman. And it's like, I feel like it is a case of him being able to get away with it. But as you said, I feel like if a black artist did that, we would be on their head. If and, unless, doing, yeah, and yeah. I don't and I don't mean character in an offensive way. I'm just meaning yeah. that like if Outcast did that, no one would blink. We would be like, oh, that's Outcast. Cause that's Outcast. That's that's yeah, CeeLo. That's, that's, that's oh, that's CeeLo. Like we right. get it. Yeah, right. Because they have a history of just being versatile and just being whatever, mm. just putting out good music. I haven't I seen that. that yet in Usher. Yeah, mm, it's a lot that, of it. I, I think that. is people are looking that when a non-black artist will release something like a Timberlake or a Robin Thicke that sounds soulful, they're seen as innovative because it's not necessarily native to what you expect them to do and release. But Bingo. when we do it as mm. black people, it's never seen as any type of innovation because it's like, yeah, well, that's what we had. Like, why are you still doing that? And we're not paying <laughs> as much attention, but it's like. Why can't we be innovative and explore and they're allowed all of the exploration they need? And mm-hmm. yeah. like like you said, Bruno could drop a jazz album today and I guarantee like yeah. jazz It'd will make a fire. comeback. It'll be it'll be like the <laughs> jazz thing because it's like wow. that's not what we see as being innate for an artist like Bruno or Robin Thicke or Justin Timberlake. Correct. So they get that innovate that innovative title and it's it's sad yeah. and I'm that's what I want to ask. How do we change that? Like, how do what do we have to do to be seen as innovative without seem without like trying too hard or seeming like we're we're trying to reach a certain audience? Like what hmm. like what part it. of the yeah, yeah what, when it's not forced, what at what part of our evolution are we seen as being innovative or can we be seen as being innovative? I think we can. I think it it goes back to the first question, artist development. If you know you have somebody that's going to be bigger than just in a box, in a say, like a Mm -hmm. her, you know, like she she shows you in the first five minutes of her show that she plays five instruments. Right. So, all right, she's just not going to give us R&B. Like, Mm -hmm. we're letting you know from the gate that she's going to be involved and you know so i think it starts there um it's tough because we're so we're on the pulse of what's cool and yeah. what's not and so sometimes when what's cool and what's not in business meets you're kind of forced to kind of stay in a certain lane because it's making uh, money right yeah yeah and but if you are developed and you just have that, okay, cool, I'm going to do this and, you know, it's going to make us money for, you know, this chapter, this decade, but I'm also going to start playing chess with the audience and my brand to kind of break us. It's, it's kind of like what CeeLo did, you know, like he wasn't CeeLo that we know now right. when he came uh, out. But, but good mind, not all. Yeah. Right, right, you know, yeah. but um, I think he saw what was going on with Outkast and was like, all right, cool. Now they can do whatever. Mm, they yeah, just opened mm-hmm. it up. Same thing with Rihanna. Uh, they kept it 
until you know she was able to blossom and then now she's over here she's over here she's over here so i think it's possible if we just study the acts that actually have done it on mm -hmm. a uh, high level that's real so uh speaking of that as far as this uh being able to evolve and and kind of you know change and kind of that constant battle of making what's like trendy versus whatever lane that you might want to go in when it comes mm -hmm. to you as a producer i have a question with that because like Back way back when I was producing, I felt like that was one of the biggest challenges, and it's something that's really, especially within hip hop, even more than R and B, but really R and B too. It's, it feels like you always have to be ahead of the curve, but it's like certain things can be timeless, certain things are dated. Like um, when you mentioned that Jasmine used a song that you had really built the framework for eight years ago. Yes, that shows that when you make something timeless. It's good forever. The same mm. way when certain stuff gets sampled from the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm -hmm. that baseline, that melody, whatever it is, like, say, say, Dennis Edwards, don't look any further, that baseline's going to get used forever because it's <laughs> yeah. just a timeless baseline. But um, mm -hmm. when it comes to you producing, like, how do you work that balance of saying, okay, let me make sure I'm staying modern enough, even if it has a soulful feel versus mm -hmm. like, or do you even experiment? Do you say, this is a current sound. I'm going to make something that sounds super trendy to see what comes out, but I'm going to put my mm -hmm. twist to it. Or do you mm -hmm. have like, what's your whole uh, method it's, with it? It's a couple of things. Um, of course, sounds are always going to be a part of it, but I actually just can't, I, I go after feel. So I think mm. that being a DJ, we understand feels because we play and we understand what works and what don't work. So yeah. It's like subconscious to us. So when I go into a studio session and I'm starting to make, I understand one, how to be creative, um, how to be 60% creative, 40% intentional. You still got to mm. know why things work, why speeds work, why certain drums work. You know, yeah, one of yeah. my mentors told me that drums are cultural. Right. So certain drums talk oh, to a sure. certain audience. Yep. You oh, got to kind of know that going into it. So if you have certain drums, you know, you're going to get a certain audience. Cool. Now you yeah. got the drums that work. So That's the melody on top and the chords can be creative. That still gives you space. Um, and my favorite producer is Quincy Jones. And growing up, we, also, we always yeah. had that. What's your sound? What's your sound? And that was a pressure for me because. Yeah. You had Kanye, mm. you had Neptunes, you had, you know, Just Blaze. Just Blaze, Timberland. Yeah. And there was clearly a sound there, right? Yeah. But then I played a saxophone. Quincy Jones did Killer Joe. Then he did Thriller and Off Joe. the Wall. Yeah. Then he did yeah. the Sanford and Son theme song. I couldn't yeah. tell that it was done by the same person. I didn't yeah. know until I was older. Yeah. Like, Looking back at his documentary, I'm like, he did that too. I know he did this, but not this and this. Yeah. So I'm like, man, yeah. I'm gonna just be able to bounce in different genres. And you know, luckily I've been able to kind of like do that and you know, in my level. But Quincy has always been the mark for me. He's been the North Star for me, just to be able to bounce in pop, R and B, jazz if I need to, you know, and still just create something special. You know, I can't yeah. hear something and be like, Quincy did that. You know, now I kind of can. Yeah, yeah, you know, but sometimes the, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you study them long enough, you'll figure out the fingerprint. But growing up, I was like, "Who's this Quincy Jones?" This is my first jazz song I ever learned. I'm like, who's this Quincy Jones? And right. then I go home, my dad's playing <laughs> off the wall, and I'm like, "This the same guy." Same guy. That's real. Is this That's real. Do you think that having a signature sound like some of the producers that were named? Do you think that can hurt you in a way if? you aren't allowed, you know, to move around that sound or outside of that sound at all? Hmm. 
can it hurt you? It can hurt you if you're not ready to evolve or try to transcend that sound into a different genre mm -hmm. because everybody wants to borrow, you yeah. know? So we saw what Tim did when he started taking that sound over. Well, his sound was always back and forth, but I don't think it can hurt you. You just have to be very smart on how you just don't get stuck. That's right. all. You know, right. you just, just gotta... like an actor being typecast. Yeah. 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 You know? For sure. It's yeah. Kind of you the same know? thing. So it, yeah. sometimes you just gotta take an artist from another and place and bring them into your world and then put your sound on that mm -hmm. to kind of like, oh, okay, it works everywhere. Like how mm. mustard was like okay cool but yeah. then when when pop artists started getting on mustard's rhythms it was like oh this is really dope dope yeah you know how different and thing so i think it can i think it can help you but you just have right. to be smart with it definitely agree with that i feel like even with mustard like when I heard Needed Me, and then when he did the LMA boot up like you can tell he has other co-producers there and that's a big part too is who you who you working in the studio with and yes. in some cases, we know some producers probably are just changing a couple notes. You know, I'm sure we know about that too. But either way, it's all about <laughs> who they who they who they working with and just how they evolve it. So, no, yeah. I feel like uh, we, we. I think we, we got to bring you back on for another episode. I feel like we got to get Definitely. you. Um, I'm, I'm, here. Three, I'm out here. I'm out here now. I'm out here. What part of LA you in? Yeah. Where you at? I'm in NoHo. I'm in the Valley. Okay. Okay. I'm always close enough to that, at least in Hollywood. So. Yeah, no, definitely. We, we definitely got to connect in person and uh, let everybody know where to find you at. Everybody who's listening wants to find finds you on social media. If yeah, you have any yeah, gigs ab coming up like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm still getting like I just got out here. So, you know, I've been bouncing yeah. around studios. I've done like one or two pop up little pop up DJ yeah. gigs. But um, you can find me at Official Dilemma. Everything is Official Dilemma, OfficialDilemma.com. Official Dilemma Twitter, Instagram, Official Dilemma. And, you know, I really appreciate you guys. I appreciate the conversation. All right. All right. All right. So uh, since we have Dilemma in the building already, we're going to do something different this time. And we might need that uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the tiebreakers. So anybody who's familiar with the show knows that we always end off with what's, what's called the beat match. The beat match is where we take two artists, two songs, albums, decades, whatever it could be. We compare them against each other. Me and EB get three minutes to decide our case on each side. We have two rebuttals. And then we let our producers, Melissa and the lady, uh, judge it. In this case, we do have a special guest, Dilemma, in the building. So we're going to have him uh, add him to the pot. And if we need somebody to break the tie, we, we're going to see how it goes. So in this case, me and EB were talking. Of course, anybody knows it's kind of a running joke now. Man. It's always hard for us to figure out what side do we pick when it comes to these debates. And in this case, uh, we, were just, we were just talking about, you know, R&B albums from the early 2010s or the whole decade period. And we uh, ended up coming on, uh, up with this one. So for anybody who's listening, um, I'm going to take it back 10 years ago, 2012. I would say two of the biggest R&B albums had to be that um, Frank Ocean and that Miguel. So that Frank Ocean had that Channel Orange. Miguel had that Kaleidoscope uh, Dream. And with that, uh, EB, which one would you pick if you had to pick one of the two? Uh, easily, I'm picking Miguel's Kaleidoscope Dream. Easily. 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 Yeah, easily. For me. I, I might say I'm easily going Frank. I mean, hey, so we'll... We'll let our uh, judges decide. So, since you are the co-host, I'll let you go ahead and get it started. What would what would make you pick Miguel over Frank and with ease at that? <laughs> uh, I I think uh, Miguel had 
a much more cohesive project. I love the uh-huh. fact that he decided to branch away from the traditional uh, R&B sound with his first album. And he wanted to explore more like a little bit of the psychedelic feels, a little bit of the soul, a little bit of rock, a little bit of electronic, you know, bringing those different genres together and marrying them into this nice package. Um, when you first put on uh, the album, the first song is Adorn. And I think that song really kind of set the tone and changed the game a lot for a lot of R&B singers. I think, uh, especially the men, that song in particular was seen as the benchmark after it came out. Like Adorn was huge and everybody wanted to be a crooner like Miguel is. Um, That's also another reason I gotta, you know, give it to Miguel because he is a crooner. Like he is one of those people who has, um, even if the the voice and tone doesn't remind you of a 50s, 60s or 70s singer, the way that he uses his instrument, his voice does. um, And he's, uh, making these songs about life and sexuality and he's crooning in a way. So you don't necessarily, you know, at first listen, realize what he's singing about a song like uh, do you, which is probably my favorite song on the album. It's like the build up to the bridge. And then the way he just like almost drops the mic on the song it's it's like an undeniable thing that he has, I think, when it comes to his albums, um, or that album in particular, especially, uh, where he understands what audiences are listening for, and he's not going to put out anything that's cookie cutter. He's not going to put out anything that uh, five other people are doing in the moment. Um, he learned to play guitar specifically for this album because he wanted to be that much more involved in the process with writing and producing. Like he took the reins because I think his first album was not, I don't want to say it wasn't him, but he didn't have complete control over the sound that he was putting out. And then I think uh, the record label he was with, I think Jive at the time, they're trying to mold him into something that he doesn't want to be. So with this album, that's part of marrying these different genres is you know, let me show you who Miguel is, not just who the public knows Miguel to be, not just what the label wanted Miguel to be to reach number whatever on the charts, but let me be authentic in my approach. And I think that authenticity is just felt more in Kaleidoscope Dream. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I mean, I can definitely respect everything you said with that. I mean, I do feel like Miguel was one of the last, like, great, especially male R&B artists in that era. And Album, I mean, Adorn was one of those songs that I played it at a wedding two days ago. Like, it still gets played at every wedding. So, it, it gave us a classic with that. To me, Channel Orange was just completely transformational. I feel like, so with Frank, he had a lot of buzz. Of course, we know about nostalgia. And then he was on Watch the Throne. And at the time, it's crazy looking back because it was like a shock to us. It's like he felt kind of like a thing that was almost like a, a cult following type who was a niche artist. Like, oh, uh, Frank is actually on Kanye and Jay's radar, so it showed that he had that potential in it and that they peeped it. But then when he dropped Channel Orange, I feel like it was one of those albums where the world almost just stopped when it came out. I feel, and that hasn't happened too often in the last 10, 12 years, especially with an R&B album. I feel like it was one of those things that was a topic everywhere you went. It didn't matter what style of R&B you were into, whether it was old school soul, whether you like the new trendy because he walked that line and he really had his own sound. Like, of course, coming from the I Future camp, 
they're always known for being kind of unorthodox. And it it showed throughout the album. And in the same way that you said that Miguel's album was not just regular kind of R&B, Frank's was similar. It was like, even though everything had an R&B overall tone to it, he pushed the limits in so many different ways. He had a little bit of folk in there. He had a little bit of country in there. I mean, of course, he flipped Benny and the Jets on the song, of course, with Super Rich Kids. And having the features from Andre the Tyler and the Earl Sweatshirt added that, uh, it gave it that hip-hop feel to it at the same time. But I feel that overall, Frank is is known as, as just the stellar writer. I would say one of the best writers that we've seen in the game, possibly ever, but especially since since uh, the 2010s begun. Like Frank's writing is his different level when it comes to his metaphors, when it comes to whether it's the basic stuff like fertilizer, which is just kind of a joke, a play on, on bullshit, versus going deeper on songs like Crack Rock. And just the way that he's able to kind of use, uh, you know, his his uh, lyricism is definitely something that you haven't seen, really haven't seen since then. So I can remember when that album, uh, before the album even came out, I remember first hearing Thinking About You. And Thinking About You, to me, is probably one of the songs that I say was such a great song that it led to covers where people sang it better than him, but they still couldn't make a better song than he did with it. And that's the thing, because it was so well-written, but it still feels best when you hear it from him. Because I heard artists sing it, that's back when YouTube covers were the biggest thing in the world. And it's like, I saw people, oh, they're killing it, they're hitting the runs, they're adding on top of it. But it showed that he was such a great writer, just like Stevie. A lot of times Stevie writes songs where... People might sing it better than Stevie, but they don't, they're not making the better song than Stevie. And when Think About You, that was a perfect example. And it's like the fact that it was also a unisex song. It's rare that you hear a song where men and women both can sing it and kill it with the, uh, the do-overs. So a, lot, a lot of times when it comes to those covers, it's like if it's a Beyonce, Rihanna song, it's mainly women who, who, who redo it. Versus if it's Donny Hathaway, D'Angelo, Prince, it's usually men who do it. Think About You, you saw it even with both. So back to you. No, yeah, I get that. You're you're absolutely right. It was one of those times where everybody wanted to sing the song and everybody sang it better than Frank, but still that <laughs> the version, you know, whatever. Um <laughs> I the thing about Kaleidoscope Dream and Miguel is a song like Pussy Is Mine is on there. <laughs> and it's something that my grandma could probably sing along to because it's just this beautiful, Your grandma, beautifully, wow. well, hey, hey, <laughs> we here. It's just like this, this beautifully composed song, even though the subject matter is not typically what you think you'd hear on a ballad. And then he would flip it around and you would hear something like how many drinks that, you know, you might be in the club or in the bar on a Friday night listening to. I think there was just, uh, it was, it was much more, um, variety on his album than Frank's. I think that even him having the live orchestra on the album and, you know, Frank had these great features. Miguel did not have any features. Uh, you know, he had people like so Pop. J. Cole. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying he had people, well, he ain't as bad as J. Cole, but he had people like Pop One Cell and Salam Remy like producing, but also somebody like Alicia Keys just singing background. Just like, you know, that old feel when artists would go from room to room and you know, uh, just jump on somebody else's song. So he has these big names attached to his project, but he doesn't need to necessarily exploit the fact that there are these huge names on the project because he really wanted the music to speak for itself. I think that Frank's album, I won't say it's a bad album because it's that I'd be a liar if I said that. What I am saying is that I think a lot of the hype surrounding the album kind of propelled the album to the place where it went commercially. And even 
you know, as in terms of the influence that he had on people um, after, I think a lot of that was just surrounded by the hype of, you know, oh, we got this guy, you know, he's doing whatever and he's from the Odd Future camp. I mean, I, so as far as, uh, it's, it's a lot to attack with that. So the first thing is, as go. far as the music, uh, as far as it like being uh, Miguel having more range, I wouldn't say so. I feel like, because the thing with Frank, there's no signature sound. There's no two songs that sound anything alike at all. I feel like every song, if you play Pyramids, Versus, I mean, the whole song, I mean, the whole track list, if you go song for song, they all sound different. Even comparing Sweet Life to Super Rich Kids, that's the same exact content, but they sound totally different. When you hear how Pharrell, you know, used that beat, Sweet Life, and not only was that song so dope that it influenced the show, of course, on HBO, but um, the fact that it's really the same content as Super Rich Kids, but it feels different. And when it comes to those features, it was a case of, it, it wasn't one of those albums where it's dependent on the features. It's where the, the features did help enhance those individual songs. But if you didn't have the feature, the song would have still been good, even great. It's just that it, it kind of elevated it. But even the fact that he had Tyler and Earl on one song, but then he's having John Mayer on a song. Then he's having Earl, I mean, then he's having Andre. And these songs all came out totally different. And then when you have a song like Pyramids, that's one song with two different songs that sound totally different. That's one song that has two super dope song. I mean, the first half, of course, is more of a club upbeat. He flips the whole concept to say she's working at the Pyramid tonight on kind of a slow, trappy beat. Like, that was completely innovative because we've heard songs where it's two pieces, but it's usually a continuation. It's the same beat, same production, at least the same melody, even if it's a different tempo. That's two totally different songs with, with the same name but different concepts. That's something that you rarely ever hear. And one thing I'll say, even being a, a straight man, is that, like, he, he's a type that, I'll say he's the one that came out, when he came out the closet a week before the album dropped, saying he was bisexual, and the album dropped, and nobody cared. That showed how dope it was, along with how much we, we've evolved as people, of course, because that couldn't happen in the, in the mid-90s, of course. But the fact that 2012, he was the one who came out saying that, saying what he was, and then he dropped, he dropped the, we already know, uh, Forrest Gump. And of course, as a straight man, I'm listening like... He's singing about a dude being buff, and I don't even care. It's still vibe. I'm still I mean, playing. I ain't gonna state the obvious. He was singing about a white dude, but anyway, um, you know, as 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 a as a gay man, that's part of the hype that I'm talking about. Like you waited right. until a week before the album to announce that you were bisexual, and I think that hype played into his his rise to the top or whatever. I think in terms of the two albums, I feel. Kaleidoscope Dream is just a more cohesive album. Um, I love the closing song, Candle in the Sun. I think it's one of the song, one of those songs that uh, more people should probably be playing and listening to. Um, I, you know, you got hits on there. I already named some. How many drinks? You know, Pussy is Mine was never a single, but the way in which Miguel saying about the pussy being his is totally different than Brian McKnight trying to teach somebody how they pussy work. <laughs> like it just it, it wasn't the same. I think Miguel just put together this project and it made sense. It wasn't that he was trying too hard. It wasn't that he was using his hype. He sang about his sexuality, but he incorporated those themes into the song. Frank used that for his advantage. I mean, you, you can argue that, but you can, you, can argue, you can also argue that because nobody had done it in that way before, that could have sabotaged it. That could have killed the whole project. So it was still a gamble for him to do it at that time that close. But either way, I feel like even aside from that, it still had enough hype to where it was still going to get love and it was still going to be well-received regardless. I feel like it was one of those albums that I would say was like a, a, a Instagram caption like a dream because he has just so many individual lyrics, so many titles, and just so many concepts that... 
folks could relate to. And it, it spoke so so strongly to like to, to that early 20s type of um you know upbringing that, that kind of like coming of age type album i feel like it is a coming of age type thing where even if the, the whole album is not you know start to finish based on like a progressive story you still hear a story behind it you kind of you kind of hear his struggles you kind of hear what he's he's dealt with and experienced and i feel like you can look at it from both sides you can see it from the the overall concept of an album and how cohesive it was in my opinion but also the individual songs each of those individual songs stand out on their own where you can hear them, you hear them on TV shows and everything now. So uh, overall, I'm still rocking with that, Frank, but we're going to let our judges decide. So we're going to bring back the panel, um, our producers, Melissa Nalady, and also our uh, our guest for the special day, Special guest so, judge. Special guest judge. So we're going to go in the usual order, Melissa, then the lady, then Dilemma. So That's not Melissa, the usual order. You know, usually the concert queen what goes first. So the lady oh, is concert. That's right. The lady oh, has okay, to go first. Okay. She got to tell us about these concerts. All right. All right. She is the concert queen. She is. Yes. You know what? And we did just see Miguel at Smoking Grooms, see, I, but whatever. Here we go. You um, did. You did. You know, artistic was there, but was in the building. We saw. I had an idea going in, but I try. We tried not to do that. We're not supposed to do that. I had an idea, but based on the arguments, I was persuaded the other way. So I'm going to go with artistic and Frank Ocean. I felt like that argument was hmm. was stronger, but personally, I would play more of the Miguel songs right now. Okay, That's he got right. my okay. vote though. He got my I respect vote. that. I respect that. Okay, all right, all right. You married, so we know that Pussy's Mind song is, you know, from... Uh... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> inappropriate, inappropriate. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> shout out to this guy. This guy. Did you say shout out to Amadou? Shout out to Amadou. <laughs> Y'all are trash. <laughs> he is trash, listen. Look, you married. It's, it's legal, it's, it's ethical. Legal. <laughs> it's legal. <laughs> Legal. Owen to Melissa. Just Owen to Melissa. All right, Melissa. That might have changed my vote. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who? Ronald. Um, sorry, DJ Artistic. Uh, I came into this neutral. Uh, I like these albums the same, so I didn't have any outside influence. So based on arguments, I also have to go with Ronald. Uh, Got it. Okay. Killer okay. meal here. Killer all right, me. All right. All right. Dilemma. Let, let's see. From a producer standpoint and all else, I mean, let's see. It was, it was great arguments on both ends. Um, For me, I'm thinking, I, I think, first of all, EBU was dead on with the two weeks before the project come out, the hype around it, all of that was... It, was dead on. Um, I remember Miguel's project coming out and just being like, okay, R&B is back. You know, real R&B and soul is oh. back. Frank's project was, all right, this is where we're going. And mm. I got to go with Frank's mm. project because it was just, it was like kind of like college dropout for me of... R&B of like, oh, we mm. can kind of bounce in all of these different genres. Like, we're over here. 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 You know? Mm. Um, so I think overall with the album, this impact of just so many baby Franks out here uh, is like that album for me. 
just did it for me. It was just like, oh, okay, we all over the place. You just gave us the green light to go do folk music, country hmm. music. You hmm. just gave us the confidence that we can do it. Yeah. Got you, got you. All right. Wow. Well, I mean, wow. yeah, he, the first you know, time hey. I was three of them and they all wrong, but <laughs> I respect it. I respect I it. I mean, hey, you, you know what we do. We I, gotta I'm take still it to not riding media, with hey. Channel Orange, but I respect it. You're still not rocking with it. I don't uh, know. Maybe, maybe you, maybe you mad he got Forrest Gump or something. I don't know. Hey, but listen, maybe, I, ain't, hey. I ain't mad at it. I, he can do him. I'm good. <laughs> so you know, you know what we do from here. Everybody on social media, we need you to hashtag Behind the Wheels Pod. Let us know um, which album you think is better. Which one do you still play? Which one hit harder when it dropped? Which one do you think aids better? Whatever your argument or case may be, let us know. And uh, also make sure to check out our. Uh, Apple um, and Spotify. Uh, we have a, a playlist for y'all based on everything that um, that that we've mentioned today, from the fast forward rewind segment, from the drop, and from uh, a little bit of Frank and some Miguel on there as well. If you have any suggestions for our future episodes, please send us an email at behindthewheelspod at gmail dot com. Uh, also, please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It helps people find our show. Please, yep, yeah, please do that. Uh, keep the keep everything in uh, in rotation, and you can find me at. DJ R-T-I-S-T-I-C on social media. That's on Instagram. That's on Twitter. I'm on TikTok with the kids now. I'm, I might have to cook or something to get my numbers up. Who knows? But you know, EB, where can they find you at? Oh, you can find me everywhere as EB for Prez. EB, the number four, and Prez is P-R-E-Z. Um, I'm still on my Twitter hiatus, but I'll be back causing some shit pretty soon. Um, but that's in Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, even TikTok, I saw him. I saw I saw our chicks to go down my timeline. I I don't have anything yeah. posted, but I, yeah. I was seeing the videos and I was like, all right, let me let me you know let me like this and and get it in more people's faces. So look, well, us appreciate up. you for that. Appreciate yeah. you for that all day, and um, we will be seeing y'all soon. Um, please stay tuned. Behind the Wheels podcast, artistic out. We out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the Lady Set, and the music is provided by Epidemic Sound. 